According to Mayo Clinic, due to COVID, the lack of physical interaction between people has resulted in more anxiety, depression, and even worse than these. But I would say to you this morning that there is hope even through the period of time we live in or any other for that matter. I think I'm going to need another remote. This one is absolutely dead. Uh, and uh, thank you, sir. Uh, and that hope comes from Scripture, if we'll just notice, out of Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. And I'll just encourage you to turn there with me this morning. Acts chapter 8. It may be common to some of us, this section of text. To others, it might be brand new. We're going to try to look at it through fresh eyes this morning for just a minute. Acts chapter 8. It's great to see everybody this morning. I hope that you have already been worshiping God this morning. If not, just want you to pause for a second and remember where you are and who you are and what we do and why we're doing it and to whom we are doing it. It is to God that we owe all things, and worship is a manifestation of our understanding of that. And so I, I, I bid you to think on some of the scripture in this portion of our worship this morning. And uh, great to have everybody here to do this together. Uh, thanks to both guests as well as member alike. And, uh, and your choice for being here this morning in worship to God. Invite you back this evening, 5 o'clock, we'll meet uh, together as we continue our day, our portion of worship today. And uh, you may not realize it, if you look over here this side, there are others mixed in the audience, but over here we have a big group of the college age that are finally back in town. That's great to have everybody getting ready to go back to school. It's great to me they get to go to school, to them probably not so much. Uh, but uh, good to have everybody back. Vacation time's kind of dwindling to a close finally. It's just refreshing to get to be back together. And uh, hope that you're enjoying it as much as I am as well. Uh, it's good to have everybody here. Well, this article that I came across from the Mayo Clinic went on to say worries and anxieties about COVID-19 and its impact can be overwhelming. Social distancing makes it even more challenging. Uh, surveys show a major increase in the number of U.S. adults reporting symptoms of stress, anxiety, depression, compared with surveys before the pandemic. And the article, uh, pretty, actually a pretty decent article in some ways, went on to show how we can overcome some of these things. One of the ways that we overcome uh, if we are suffering with stress, anxiety, depression through the COVID uh, pandemic, it says is to limit screen time. Limit screen time. Most people have increased their screen time, actually, and it's made, the article made a case of how unhealthy that can be uh, and how we ought to limit our screen time and the use of electronic devices. Uh, the second thing, or one of the other things that it mentioned was that we become a people who use our spiritual life for support. I actually found that amazing that the Mayo Clinic would actually say that. Uh, but that is what they were saying that we should do, increase your spirituality. That's great. We should increase our spirituality. And then it kind of stepped on itself a bit, as could be expected. Make connections through electronic devices. <laughs> While you're shut in, don't forget to get on your electronic device right after having said, stay away from your electronic device. But their point is true in one sense, and that is we make a difference, and it's a difference is made in our life when we impact the lives of others, when we connect with others. It didn't say it that way, but that's what it was talking about in the article. And that is very true. 
We know that trying to connect electronically, there's some doing that even this morning as they're joining in as we worship together. They're trying to connect electronically. I'll just say, they know it. We've probably done it. We know it. That there is nothing that beats personal connection. Electronic connection is a, it's a distant second best. <laughs> but it's way distant to being together. We understand this and we know that based upon our connections. Nothing beats physical connection with one another. There is joy to be found in touching one another's lives. There's joy to be found in touching other people's lives, even outside these walls. We are people who are social people. We are people who need connection with other people. And, it, and for the Christian, it's like spiritual oxygen to us if we're to be thriving and joyful and excited about being a Christian. We need other people. It's not just a one with God kind of thing. I know we wish that it could be, but we are created to need other people and other people to need us. And we must keep in mind that the devil absolutely knows that, and he will use against us a disconnect any time that he can find it. We need to be aware of that. That's something in our day and age we need to seriously consider. The devil will use our needs against us. When we should be together, he will make us separate. You may be here this morning, and you feel like you're the only one here because you have no connection to others. We need those connection those connections with others. As we look here in Acts chapter 8, we're challenged to touch other people's lives by considering the day and life of this brother in Christ whose name is Philip. And from this text, we can see several um, principles that are listed there which help us to continue our growth in our service to God as we connect to other people's lives. First of all, I'd like for you to notice out of this text, we haven't read all of it yet, but just notice as you look there at verse 1, the setting of the account. In fact, go just a little bit above verse 1. Look there at the end of chapter 7 of your text, and you'll remember that that's the text where we see the first martyr for Christ. Brother Stephen is killed for professing the gospel of Jesus Christ. For the people who are hearing to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and to respond to him appropriately. He also, Stephen, was one of the first deacons in the church there at Jerusalem. But what this does is it sets off a chain of events. Bad ones for the people of God. Well, bad for the people, good for God. Because it causes a dispersion of the people who were of the church at Jerusalem. They must move out of Jerusalem. They've got to get out of that place and get into other parts of the world because of the, uh, the extreme persecution that is taking place. Saul is introduced in this 8th chapter as well. Look there at verse 1 of your text. Saul approved of Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered. Look down just briefly at verse 4. We'll look at it again in just a second. But just notice a couple of words there. Even when this persecution got to, the, got to such a difficult and extreme bad situation, bad case, uh, that they're being scattered, their response is seen there in, in, the, in verse 4. They went about preaching the word. Persecution did not stop the church in Jerusalem. 
It didn't stop the individuals who made up that church in one way or another. It did not stop them. You notice the harder things got, the more God's efforts were increased. The harder things got for those Christians, the more those Christians became faithful, stronger Christians. Does that seem weird? Think about that for a moment. Is that how it happens in your life and mine? The harder life gets, the stronger we get, the more determined we get in our purpose, in our life. Does that happen to us? That's what's happening here in this picture. Well, it's out of this setting that we read verse 3. Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. And he dragged off men and women and committed them into prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word, what we just read. But then look at verse 5. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them Christ. I want you to notice how this reading flows. Doesn't it flow well? You know, everything's great. Church is doing great there in Jerusalem. It's been growing all through this time. People are being faithful. They're bringing, you might remember from previous study out of Acts, they're bringing their goods uh, or the, the uh, surplus from their goods and, they, and they're distributing. Nobody has need in the whole church at Jerusalem. By this point, it's thousands of people large. Nobody has need. But then this persecution rises. Stephen gets killed. One of the first deacons in the church, he, he gets killed by people who resist the message of Jesus there in the city of Jerusalem. And that sets off persecution against all Christians in Jerusalem. And so they're being scattered abroad. Escaping persecution, but continuing to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. Just flows done. It goes together really well. You notice in this flow that maybe we've read this so many times we don't really get it. I have to say to you, I had to go back and read it in preparation for this next thought. Of course they would go back and they would do this, right? Of course. I mean, yeah, there's persecution, so they're going to go everywhere preaching the gospel. Really? Let me ask you another question. Is there an alternative to what they did? I mean, could they have done something else? Think about it. Could they have done something else when this difficulty arose in their life and they were called upon to get stronger? To do the thing that they were converted to Jesus to do. You know, we're not converted just so we can go to heaven. If that were the case, the Lord would take us as soon as we came out of the water. We are here left on earth for a reason, and they were to fulfill that reason themselves as well. What else could they have done? I mean, I want you to read that with real new eyes for just a second, because I know if you're like me, you've read it for many years, and you go, yeah, of course, what else are they going to do? Persecution, they're going to go around preaching, right? No, there is the alternative to that. What could they have done? There, there are lots of alternatives. We, we might be intimidated by people like Saul and the other governors, the other people who had authority against the Christians. We could have been in that category instead. They could have been. Maybe some of them were. 
We could have been gripped by fear. Look at what's happening. I mean, people are dying here, right? We could have compromised our mission. We could have been worried about unknowns, what-ifs, when our faith was challenged by persecution. These people are leaving their homes, they're leaving their families for the sake of sharing a message. For these, they may have been chased from their homes and from fellowship in Jerusalem that still today we love and enjoy among God's family. But they could not be silenced because they were Christians. Now, here comes a very difficult thing for us to examine. These must have been super-Christians. I mean, really, to endure all of that, all this persecution, all of this hardship, they had to be super-Christians to leave their homes, to leave their jobs, to leave their families, to go about doing anything and everything they could to survive. But one thing they did for certain, and that is, they carried the message in front of them. They had to be super-Christians. In fact, I would say to you, I think they're probably the apostles. That's who this text is thinking about. Would that be maybe a good consideration? Possible alternative? It would be, except there's one problem there. You notice in the text that it says, except for the apostles, everybody was leaving. (laughs) The apostles were staying. The apostles stayed right there in Jerusalem, and they endured what was happening to them. But others were leaving. Well, maybe these were elders of the church. Maybe these were preachers. Maybe these were well-equipped teachers. That's what made them so strong. That's why they did what they did. That's why they didn't do the alternative. And that's why they got stronger as they went. Because they had good foundation. They'd been great students of the Bible for a very long time. That would be good too, except for the fact... And it may be that there were some like that, not discounting it. But probably not the majority, and the reason we think that is because it's only in Acts 2, people are being converted by the masses. So most of these people, they were just Christians, and most of them were new Christians. They might have been Israelites, a good population, along with the Gentiles, might have been some Jews who knew about God's Old Testament covenant, but almost all of them we could confidently say we're new Christians. And what are they doing? Standing for their faith. You see, these people were willing and available to God's call. It's kind of hard to say that the persecution was God's call, but that's exactly what we see it was. God's call to be faithful children of God. To not just be confined to the place they were in, but to spread that news in other places wherever they went. It took persecution to get them out of the good feeling of home within the family of God at Jerusalem. They interjected spiritual discussion into daily conversations. They set forth an alternative to being lost to people who knew them, knew the message that they were bringing. With a joyful life, they brought a changing message. A message that was going to change the people's lives that they came to know. No doubt it's a lesson to be learned by God's people, you and me still today. Wherever we go, what is it we take? 
They, like we, they enjoyed being together. There's no doubt about that. You read that from the first chapters of Acts. But brothers and sisters, we're called to touch other people's lives. And if it is in the day comes that we forget or we refuse that great commission of touching other people's lives with the gospel of Jesus Christ, God may use something like persecution to put us back into the mode of soul-saving again. We are family, but we're family of influence. When that influence subsides or it decreases in your life or mine, make no mistake, God will bring something into our life that will disturb our calm and nice and wonderful life that we enjoy for ourselves instead of for others. Good news of salvation. It was not intended to stay in Jerusalem, among the Christians, in their homes, and in their fellowship. No matter what is against us, brothers and sisters, we are meant to touch others through contact with them. It isn't just for elders. It isn't just for preachers. It isn't just for Bible teachers. It is for every single child of God no matter the place in life we possess. And so Philip, who was one of those selected to wait on tables, one of the early deacons in the church at Jerusalem, basically what we're talking about when we talk about the early deacons in Jerusalem are those who are apostle-ordained waiters, because that's all their job was in their job description to our knowledge. They were to see after the widows in the church, and it was really even only a select portion of the, of the widows at that time. But still, that was their job, to wait tables for those who were widows within the church at Jerusalem. But this man, when the persecution comes, he goes down to the city of Samaria, and what is he doing now? He's not serving physical food anymore. What is he doing? He's serving spiritual food, isn't he? He proclaims to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, pay attention, down in verse 8, so there was much joy in that city, the text says. Well, it is during this time in Samaria that Philip receives the message of the angel of the Lord. And the angel says, go down to Gaza. Go down toward that place. Isn't it interesting to you how God opens doors? But I'll say, I will say to you, something that oftentimes we may overlook is not just God opening doors. That one we usually see. What about Philip's availability to God's open doors? Now that's impressive as well. we got God and man working together in order for the betterment of other people. And that's what's happening in this text. Philip is the kind of Christian who's willing to invite, who's willing to talk, who's willing to teach, whatever the case might have been, simply because God opened the door. I want you to realize something, brothers and sisters. When God opens the door, that should not be disregarded by, by mere humans. That's a big deal when God does stuff. When God opens a door, we should stand up, take notice of that, because who are we? We're just a little human. That's who we are. This is the great God of heaven and earth making way, making known His will, His purpose in your life and in mine. That's an important thing to notice. And that's happening right here in this text. First, He's looking for open doors, no doubt, or He wouldn't see them. 
That's a thought to, that we could even make a point of. Second, he's willing to act on God's behalf. And that's a big point. Can you and I do that? Yes, we can and we do. Can we do it more? Probably so for most, of, if not all of us. If you're a newer Christian, I want to talk to you for just a second. Or maybe you're an older Christian and you're just now beginning to understand the need to engage. Whatever the case is. Please don't feel that you can't do anything because you don't know enough to teach the Word of God to someone else yet. I want to encourage you, you keep on learning. But here, in the meantime, there's still something for you to do. What is it? Consider how God is calling for you to be a conduit of invitation. If you cannot do what God talks about in the Word yet because you're still a little new and you're still in the infant stage of your spiritual growth, or maybe you're a bit intimidated and you have not grown in faith the way that, you, that you're going to in the future, stop for a second and understand this. It doesn't mean that you're worthless. And it doesn't mean that you can't do anything for God. That's just, tr that's just the devil at, at work in your life. If you can't do it, you get someone to where they can receive. That's a conduit. And that's what God wants from every Christian from the time they become converted to the time they die. We all become a conduit with varying levels of experience and ability. But everyone, everyone has the ability to invite so that those who are lost at least come to a place where they can be saved. God has the ability to do what you can't, what no one can. Be that person of invitation. You find those cards in the back, you put them in your pocket, you put them in your wallet, you put them in your purse, whatever it is, and you make use of those things. Because your desire as a child of God is to see others become children of God. There's no greater calling. And in fact, I would say to you that you have the power that God has given you to a degree that older Christians oftentimes cannot. Our sphere of influence shrinks the longer we are a Christian because the people we know we have made contact with. And we're having to make more contact with people we don't know. As a new Christian, you've got all these contacts before you. You can have great power and influence with them. Simply talking to another about what you have found in Jesus Christ doesn't mean you have to know all the Scriptures. But it does mean you know why you did what you did and you know how it is you became converted and you can tell people about that. You can be a witness for God. The last thing any Christian should think is that they can't do anything when God, opened doors, when God opens doors of opportunities you can, and we have all been reborn to bring others to Him. That's why we still live in this world. Even if it's what one might consider small things. i just tell a very quick story and move on. Uh, as the story comes from my family, I'm proud of that story. My father had a tract and he gave it to someone, and 30 years later, that person called him and said, I want to become a Christian. Held on to that little piece of paper for 30 years. 
I'm just saying to you, a person might say, you know what, leaving a note on the table or, or leaving an invitation to service, those things are, nobody cares. People do care. And there are people in this very auditorium who have made contact with those who need the Lord through what most people consider to be a worthless effort. God can do great things through small things. And we see that here in this text as well. For those who are often afraid of offering someone an invitation or talking to them about Christ, I want you to notice it is the simplest, most unoffending questions that oftentimes open the largest doors of opportunity for God to work. Look there at verse 30. Philip ran to him, runs to the Ethiopian man. He heard him reading from Isaiah, the prophet, and he asked, Do you understand what you are reading? The Spirit may have told Philip where to go. I get that. But it's Philip who took the initiative to speak this question. Do you know what you're reading? Oh my goodness, I could never do that. I mean, offensive. You might, think I'm a, you might think I'm a religious lunatic or something. I mean, how simple is the question? Think about how simple that question is. It is so unoffensive. Now, I, I get the impression sometimes, and I'm, I'm not trying to be overcritical. I just want you to think about this for a second. Is it that Christians who are out there with the gospel, they're all crazies? Is that what we think? How simple is the question, do you know what you're reading? I mean, the guy could have said, I'm reading about prophet Isaiah. Thanks for asking. Bye. Or it could have been an open door. Either way, it's not offensive. Just question. I mean, it's not like he begins in Genesis and teaches him the whole Bible. Just a question. Is the same true for us? You know, it may be, brothers and sisters, our trip to the store is not just meant to be a trip to the store. It's possible. Going to the auto shop is not just going to the auto shop. Or to the pedicure place, or the office workplace, or, or family get-together, or the dinner table where discussions happen at, at mealtime after school in the family. Or that other table there at the restaurant where you're seated where you notice another couple beginning their meal by praying first or that table in the restaurant or in the coffee shop where you see this person reading their bible all alone have we ever stopped to consider ladies and gentlemen that the where where we go and the places we go and the things we do are not always just because of what we have in our head of what the objective is of going there is that possible is it possible that God has you there for a reason and a lost person that you will see while you're there? Is that possible? I mean, I'm just trying to put in our mind, as the, as the Scripture is putting it in our mind, that we are meant to be people who share the news of God everywhere we go, anytime we can, with any opportunity He gives. That is our reason for living. I know that sounds extreme. I got grandkids too, and I love them. And I love seeing them grow up, and I've got children that I'm proud of, and 
all of this I understand. So many things. I, you know, I've got work to do, and I've got a car that I bought. I like that. I like all my all the possessions God's given. I like the car drive. All these nice things, you see. But all those nice things mean nothing if I forget why I'm here. I'm not here for just that. I'm here for the sake of God. You're here for the sake of God. And all of those things and every contact He has given you, it is not because you get your work done that way or because you need to buy groceries or because you need to get your nails done. Everything He's given you plays into this one great factor. God and His message come before me. Do we get sidetracked? When persecution arises, when difficult things in life come, do we hunker down, hollow in, and seal it off? Or do we go out and talk about Christ? That's what these guys are doing. That's what the church in Acts, uh, the church in, uh, Acts is doing. Statements like this in verse 4. This is what he's been reading. Well, he's down in verse 8, if you'll notice, of the text. He was stricken for the transgression of my people, but he's already read places like this. He's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgression. Let that sink in, brothers and sisters. That's why we're here. It's who we are. It's the reason for our existing, because of what he has done. That's where the, that's where the man's at that's reading this text and doesn't know what it means. Philip knows what it means. And if there's one reason that Christians keep on doing what we do in spreading the gospel of Christ, it's found right here in this text. It is because of what he has done for us. Nothing motivates us like that does. He was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was, our, was chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. No one in Jesus' day had considered the possibility that a Messiah had to be offered and die to save the family of God. And so it was logical for this man to say, I don't know what I'm reading. Why don't you come up here and sit with me, and I'll see if you can explain it. He invites Philip in. He says, who is it talking about, himself or another man? The writer or another man? And beginning at that place, Philip opened his mouth and he began with this scripture and he told him the good news about Jesus Christ. Now I want you to stop there and I want you to consider the good news about Jesus Christ is very, very simple. He came, he died for sins. He redeems mankind. And here's how you respond to it. That's pretty simple. Notice that he doesn't compare one church to another. He doesn't say, well, let's go over here to Revelation. I'll show you a bunch of stuff that you don't know about symbolism. You notice he doesn't talk about institutionalism. He doesn't talk about women preachers. You notice he doesn't talk about the evidence for intelligent design or social ills of Israel at the time or Ethiopia. Could have talked about a thousand different things. But what he centers on is the one thing this man needed more than anything else, and that is a response to the significance of Jesus Christ. There is a time for other discussion, brothers and sisters, but we don't have to be intimidated by that. 
because that is not the time yet. Right now, the time is Jesus and his sacrifice. And my response, other people's response to that. Jesus, our sin problem, his sacrifice, what it means to our salvation. And I'll say to you that that takes discipline because Satan loves for us to talk about truth that is not even needed right now. He'll, talk, he'll get us sidetracked, talk about what the difference between that church and our church. Who cares the difference between two churches when someone is lost and doesn't even know the plan of salvation yet? If you can talk about the plan of salvation, you can spread the gospel. You don't have to know everything about everything. You just have to know about how Jesus saves you. And anybody who's a Christian can explain it because we've done it. That's evidenced in verse 36. As they were going down the road, there came some water. The eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch. He baptized him. Simple, and yet very profound response to real belief. Was the eunuch's life changed that day because of a simple thing that Philip chose to do? for being in the right place at the right time as God had made that happen? And yes, he was. Philip taught him, and God saved him. He still changes lives in our day, brothers and sisters. He gives us the opportunity to help touch the lives of others still today, just as he was doing then. We must see our purpose we must be about our mission. Do not forget who you are. Maybe that's where you are today. It is interesting throughout the book of Acts that one thing is consistent in everyone's conversion, and that is the response to their belief resulting in baptism. There is not one account in the entire book of Acts that does not end with regard to salvation without baptism. They all end that way. And do you know why that is? It is because baptism is the moment in which we put on Jesus Christ, according to Galatians chapter 3. I need to catch up. It is because at that moment in which our sins are washed away, Acts chapter 22, and it is at that moment that we are saved, according to 1 Peter 3 verse 21. God's challenge, if you are a child of God, a Christian already, is to seek to further fulfill the purpose that you've been left here. doesn't mean you haven't been doing it. And I don't want you to get the impression I think that. I do not think that. There are many who are doing it. But what it does mean is that we seek ways to further do the will of God in this area. Touching another's life with the most powerful message God has known mankind is the highest calling ever given to anyone. And you and I have been given that calling. Are you a Christian? Don't forget it. Remember it every single day with every single encounter. God opens doors through us to others. The Jerusalem church was going through persecution. But they daily put Jesus at the forefront. Wherever that took them, God blessed them with open doors. And I say this to you, and I mean it. He does the same for you and I. It may not be on an old desert road with a chariot, 
but he does it nonetheless. Everyday encounters, he's doing it. If you've not yet responded, as we have looked at in today's scripture, as we've read here from Acts, and you'd like to respond by having your sins forgiven, why don't you do that this morning? Nothing stops you, just nothing stopped the, the Ethiopian man that we read about. He asked the simple question, here's water. Philip responded, if you believe you may, and he did. And the text says he went on his way rejoicing. If that's what you'd like to do today as well, we would encourage you to do that. Why don't you, while together we stand and as we sing.